Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. So I'm delighted to be joined for this episode of the podcast by Sarah Page. We're going to have a bit of a conversation really about parenting and motherhood and expectations of parenting and spirituality and what turns out to be different and how you navigate really all of the trials and the struggles of some of that. And Sarah's got some really good stories and insight and a rich experience to share. So thank you ever so much for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Kath. Thanks for having me. Um, So I'm a mum of two. I presently have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old at the time of this recording. Um, They're about to go into their eighth and sixth birthdays in the next lot of weeks, um, which is exciting. And I'm married to Daniel and I work in the education sphere Mm -hmm. and it's quite busy and demanding as you can imagine and I've only been doing full-time work now for just over a year prior to that I was doing part-time as a result of parenting I've been a Christian since being born practically in terms of raised in a Christian home but I had a whole season away from God and then came back to God when I was 21 so I've now been walking with Jesus for about 23 years now Fab. So I know that you were single for quite a long time before you got married. Yes. And I'm wondering whether sort of marriage and parenthood were kind of in your image of what life was going to be like. I had always hoped that I would get married and I had a sense that that was God's heart for me. Yeah. So I'd kind of hung on for that. But yeah, I didn't meet my husband till I was in my 30s and we got married. And in our conversations building up to getting married, we talked about having children and he was a little bit not quite sure whether that will happen not sure whether I'm fertile or not and I was more of the mindset of I'm going to have this 2.4 family with the children the husband and and that's what it's going to look like yeah and did you have sort of an image of what that was going to be like had you seen other families and thought I can kind of imagine it being like this. I can imagine bringing them to church and, you know. Yeah, I'd been in a church congregation that had a lot of families. Yeah. And so you would see the parents turning up with the kids and the children would go off to kids' church. The babies would go to a creche where there was some Mm. creche staff that would help them out. And, And so it all looked like it was quite a beautiful scenario really so I suppose in my head that was the image that I had and my own parents when we were children they were the youth pastors at their church and so they ran a Christian youth group they ran a youth group that was more about widening to people that didn't know Jesus yet and was more about fun and activities they ran a bible study at home they were out preaching and things like that and so I was part of that scene yeah. um, when I was really little and so I, I guess that's how I thought life with kids would look yeah yeah so then you you get pregnant and you're imagining your maternity leave and your time after that. And what were you imagining that would be like? 
So I had seen lots of women walking around with the bump looking absolutely stunning and beautiful and just like I was so excited about having the bump. My experience of pregnancy was actually a bit more traumatic than that in that I ended up having prenatal depression and so I didn't actually want to get off the sofa I didn't want to talk to people Mm -hmm. it was a major effort just to get to work to deliver in front of a class and Mm -hmm. teach was absolutely traumatic for me and then I would come home and want to just hide away And interestingly, I was vitamin D deficient. That was actually what was triggering the issue. And a friend of mine at work had got a sad lamp because she had seasonal affected depression and had said, try the sad lamp and see whether that makes a difference. And so I tried it for a handful of mornings and sure enough, I was buzzing off. (laughs) It made such a massive difference to me. And I was a bit like, oh, I'm pregnant. Does the sad lamp work with pregnancy? If this is a vitamin D deficiency, if that's what the issue is, maybe I need more supplements. So we eventually called the vitamin D tablets my happy tablets. And I took a a higher level of vitamin D and that helped me to function. And the other thing that I found really helpful that season was writing a list of gratitude. So as I journeyed to work, I'd be writing my thank yous on my phone and, and saying thank you to God for all of the things I was thankful for. Likewise, when I was coming back, I would do that. And I drew strength from that yeah. and found that that also really was a substantial thing of, of what helped me get through that particular season. And um, in my head, mm. I knew that babies were supposed to sleep for a long period of time. And I was under the impression that they would sleep for about 12 hours. And that yeah. was through the night. And then also they would be napping in the daytime. And In my education role, we're encouraged to write books and write journal articles and things like that. So I thought I was going to write a book. (laughs) That was my plan. I thought, right, I'm going to have all this extra time. What am I going to do with it? I only need eight hours sleep, so I should have at least four hours where I can write a book. This is going to be a really productive season. And when I'm not writing the book and I'm not asleep, I'm going to be having lots of fun with my baby. And we're going to be going to all these mums and toddler groups and we're going to be having lots of fun and I can go anywhere in my car and I can go off journeying. And we changed our car to be more baby friendly so that I would have a vehicle that I'd be able to do all of that kind of thing with. And so I suppose that was my my image that I was going to have this really rich time with God. One of my Christian friends had told me about how she'd set up a Bible study and prayer group and their their kids would be kind of napping or doing things and they would be spending time with God and how rich that was and so I was really excited about what that season of life was going to look like. Yeah and you've talked a lot about prayer and connecting with God. I'm I'm just wondering what your spiritual life, what your practice, what your pattern was when you were single and, and married and not yet with children. Yeah. So when I had come back from my prodigal season, I was yeah. an all-in girl. <laughs> it's yeah. like the I'm leaving the all the stuff that the party in and everything that I was doing, and I'm just. God. This is me and God. Um, So I led quite a monastic 
lifestyle and yeah. that I would spend several hours in the morning where I'd be reading my Bible, praying, worshipping, dancing around the house to God, chatting to him. I would chat to him in my day when I was at work. I would come home and he was my company in my house by myself prior to mm-hmm. getting married. So we'd have time in the evening together as yeah. well. Um, if I watched a film or a TV program, I would do that with God. So I'd be like, oh, what do you want to speak to me about? I, I treated him like yeah. my best mate. Yeah. And then I would be at church serving in various capacities Mm. um, and also at prayer meetings and having worship time and Bible studies and growth groups and all that kind of stuff. So I would say my life was very full of God in terms of of what my pattern looked like. Yeah. So did you do the traditional kind of what we're all supposed to aspire to, the kind of get up in the morning and pray? and Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my quiet time in the morning was get up at five o'clock in the morning and spend that hour of reading my Bible first, then spend at least an hour in prayer and worship before having breakfast, getting showered, (laughs) getting out of the house. And I also used to run three times a week. So I would fit in a run. And while I was running, I'd be listening to worship music and collecting God through, through that side of things. So I had an what I felt like was a very deep, well yeah. connected and and God was my source of strength, my source of wisdom. Yeah. And helped me do my work and and help me do life. Yeah. Yeah. So moving forward to the point when you're having your first your first son, um presumably you also had an image of what the whole birthing thing would be like. Had you ordered yes. the birthing pool and the choir and the yeah so so (laughs) um in preparation for having a baby um my husband gets really freaked out over hospitals he has white coat syndrome big style would pass out kind of thing and and, like just panic driving past a hospital (laughs) so i made him watch one born every minute quite frequently to try to kind of desensitize him to some of the issues but also to help him think about what might be helpful for when we're giving birth in the different scenarios and stuff so that's part of our kind of preparation Mm. season I had decided from watching lots of episodes of One Born Every Minute as to what kind of birth I would like and so I wanted a birthing pool and I wanted my husband who plays guitar Mm. piano and stuff like that and, and is involved in worship to bring his guitar and to worship through birth. That was my kind of like tranquil image of of what I wanted birth to be like. And my mum had given birth really swiftly. She had had kind of three hours and then out popped the baby and no pain relief. And so I was thinking, well, surely I would have that genetics. (laughs) (laughs) Surely I would have been blessed to be just like my mum. So that was kind of what I was anticipating. That kind of got a little bit scrapped at 20 weeks we got told that our son was brain damaged and we were asked to abort our son Mm. and so we then had the rest of the pregnancy where I was having to go for scans every single week and they were monitoring the brain Um, at one point I was told I was gonna have to go to a completely different city to give birth and that it would be through c-section and scheduled c-section and then my baby would be whisked off to the children's specialist unit so that all the tests could be done on his brain. 
and the church prayed. Yeah. And we were praying and praying and week by week in the scans, the brain started to shrink to the size that it was supposed to be. And it right. just was just outside of the threshold of what's classed as normal. And so the decision was that I actually could then birth locally. So my birthing Mm. plans had kind of gone out the window because I was going to be going to another city. And then it had come back to, you can actually have it local. So I was like, get the guitar (laughs) We'll go back to the the kind of first birthing plan, shall we? So there was quite a lot of trauma in those months up until birth. And then I didn't end up giving birth on the due date because the due date is invariably wrong. Yeah. Um, in your head, you're thinking, oh, right, this is the point I'm going that's to That's when we organised the worship session. Yes, the that's all the birth yeah. Um And so I ended up having to be induced. Right. And my situation of being induced was pretty traumatic. I started contracting, but not to the point of being able to then go into the second stage of induced mm. and, and into the, the proper maternity area where you would then be delivered. In. And they ran out of beds because there were so many women that were birthing that night. Oh, so I actually gosh. had to stay in the in- induction ward mm. for a longer amount of time. And in that time, you can hear all the women giving birth screaming their heads off oh, in the room. Extra. Um, I got told I couldn't go home, that I had to stay in hospital. And then finally got put into a room. And then again, many hours and eventually we ended up with an emergency C-section because my son's heart rate plummeted. And so the next minute I'm waking up because they had to knock me out mm-hmm. to do that. And I'm having a baby thrust on me and going, yeah. oh, what the heck's happened? I'm being very tired because after 48 hours of going through kind of labouring and pre-labour and stuff like that in a hospital, it's pretty mm-hmm. a tiring situation. And um, so that was my kind of wake up to the world of motherhood. Gosh, I'm just wondering in that kind of pregnancy in those weeks, what walking with Jesus was like in the midst of that trauma of not knowing. Yeah, I think that in terms of the being told that we had a brain damaged child, yeah. all I sensed God saying was, I'm going to hold your hand through this. Right. Yeah. So I didn't have a sense of God healing our child. Mm-hmm. I had a huge conviction about unconditional love. So mm-hmm. if we end up having a child that's brain damaged, loving yeah. and, and what that might look like for us as a family and, and feeling convicted about my own prejudices and my right. own image of I want a child who is fully functioning and, and able and, and what that actually God was kind of like really mm-hmm. pulling at me around um, my heart so the, my assurance was I'm holding your hand yeah um, and, and that's all I could hold on to yeah thankfully there was lots of people praying and and covering us in prayer and the glimmers of hope every single week when we got the scan and we could see that a millimetre had shrunk because he had an enlarged ventricle on his brain. One side was particularly large, the other one was mildly larger than normal and and to see it shrink bit Mm. by bit by bit was hope building that God was doing something. Yeah. And I really didn't want to have to go to another city to give birth. And so when it got declared that I didn't mm. have to, just seeing God's got your back, God's yes. God's here, 
um, was a really precious thing. And I, I mentioned that I was having the vitamin D issues. And, and yeah. so the Thanksgiving through that was a, a real key for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it was difficult, but you were maintaining a spiritual practice. Yes. And and that. And up in my gain in that. So it, yeah. in terms of being very specific about Thanksgiving, that yeah. was something that I was more casual about in my normal Christian practice, but being yeah. very right, I need to Thanksgive. Yeah. And were there particular moments in that where you really sensed God's presence, you know, were there, that God was there holding your hand? I don't remember as detailed back then, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened since then? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember having lots of kind of really charged moments, but no. I think that your body's doing so many weird things when you're pregnant yes. that that has something to do with maybe what you might experience. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because actually what feels like a normal spiritual experience is a whole body yes. thing. And so what I'm hearing in that a bit is that actually as your body is doing all sorts of different things, so your spiritual experience is kind of shifting around that a bit. Yes. Yeah. And our hormones do all sorts of weird things to yes. us. Yeah. And therefore kind of processing God and hearing God and, and all of those kind of things kind of change a little bit. Yes. For me, yeah. that, for other women, they may still have uh, a similar pathway because everyone's bodies respond to babies differently as well, don't they? Yes. So, yeah. so yeah, for me, it was different. I can't remember having the deep senses of peace that I had pre-pregnancy mm. in the same way, but I knew that I had that assurance of him holding my hand and I knew I was hanging on to that. There's something very beautiful about that isn't there? Because God is not requiring you to do a lot if the job is just to know that God is holding yes. your hands. Yeah. And in the middle of all of that chaos, that feels like a very, a very compassionate word for you to have walked with. Yeah. Yeah. There is something about God's unconditional love, but also empathy in that, I think. Isn't yeah. There? It's very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So post-birth, You've had this child kind of put on your chest after this really traumatic time. And I wonder if you had some sort of preconceived ideas about the rush of maternal hormones and the beauty of that moment. And I'm wondering whether it kind of matched up. No. <laughs> no, it didn't. Um, yeah, I guess I had this image that you suddenly you see your baby and you're like, oh, and and certainly you see that on the, all the programs that you watch, yeah. um, that there's this kind of like special moment and you embrace your child. And all I kept thinking was, why the heck did you wake me up from the final point that I'd managed to get to sleep and I've got this baby on me? Um, and our child screamed a lot. Right. So we had a screamer and... So the, it wasn't this warm, fuzzy mm. moment. And I wanted to breastfeed. Yeah. So we'd gone to a, a class that had talked about breastfeeding and the benefits of breastfeeding. And so from hearing all the medical information about it, I was mm. like, I want to give that a go. Yeah. And my husband had naively turned around and said, if you do the input, I'll do the output and be responsible for the nappies whenever I'm home. Right. And I was like, winner. <laughs> so, so we were trying to breastfeed and we couldn't latch properly. 
We were right. having lots of problems. And I was told that his blood sugar levels were out of function and we had to go on a feeding program with him. And at the same time, I'm having painkiller relief through the hospital and don't realise that I'm actually allergic to it and I'm having oh. reactions to it. Um, so my body is shaking and doing all sorts of weird things. So we end up in hospital for 10 days after baby. Gosh, that's long. It's days. a long yeah, yeah. period of time and I'm really struggling and it's not going particularly well. And, and one night I'm just like, Jesus, <laughs> I don't want to be here and I don't know what's going on. And at that point... God told me which medication not to take. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, I'm so tired. I do not know if it's you or I'm hallucinating right now in terms of what I'm thinking, but I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. And so the next day when the medication came around, I went, I'm not taking that. And they were a bit like, are you sure? And I was like, I'm sure I'm not taking that. And within 24 hours, I was back to normal and I'd stopped shaking and, and doing weird things. And my liver function testing and everything yep. started to go back to relatively normal. And at that point, I wasn't willing to wait to the point of being absolutely normal. I just went, I'm discharging myself. <laughs> I was so desperate to go home, yeah. have some time out. And so we went home and my blood pressure instantly, instantly came down and and kind of started to, to have support and stuff at home. And there was problems in that I had had an emergency C-section. I kept yep. getting infections. I was struggling with my mobility as a, a result. And we had a baby that cried nonstop. Mm. And I didn't know what was normal and what wasn't fully normal, but this felt odd and when we would put him down to sleep he would wake up 20 minutes screaming his head up and I was like I thought you just put the baby down and they slept blissfully and then you can get some rest write your book I'll write my book Um, and that just all went out the window yeah. And so he was waking and screaming and waking and screaming and waking and screaming. He would go onto the breast and sometimes he would feed okay and other times he wouldn't and he would be arching his back and screaming. And I was like, what is happening? And I wasn't quite sure. Um, eventually I plucked up the courage to speak to the doctor about it and he was just like, this is your first baby, isn't it? And I was like, yes, my first baby. And I was a bit like, it's just colic, just like get on with it and treated me like I was a neurotic first time mum which really wasn't helpful and and the screaming was persisting and all the kind of things that I would see other mums do like that gentle rocking with their baby didn't work for my child Mm. and I was like why is nothing working why why does it feel so hard and so tough and at night time when he would be waking every 20 minutes and screaming I was like like I don't know what to do Um, and so we were in a bit of a pickle and then one day our health visitor happened to come round at the point that he was having one of his screaming episodes and instantly went your child's got silent reflux wow and phoned my doctor there and then told my doctor what to medicate 
and we started a, a journey that took us to eight months old when we finally got before a specialist and he finally got some medical treatment that went from him waking every 20 oh. minutes to sleeping for five hours in a chunk. Wow. And the consultant had arranged a telephone appointment with me for the next morning to find out how it had gone. And I said, mm. he slept for five hours. And she went, that's not good enough. We're doubling the dose. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, this is my new best friend. Yes, my new best friend is this consultant. So we doubled the dose and he slept yeah. for seven hours. And then he would wake up for a feed and he'd go back to sleep for three hours. And so suddenly my life changed. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was getting sleep and I could function. But for eight months, we had this journey of horrendous no sleeping. I was averaging two hours a day mm. in a 24-hour period. And that two hours wasn't always together. Gosh. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was an incredibly stressful season of life. Yeah. And where was God, what was your sense of God being with you in that in that season? Um. I certainly wasn't having the kind of goosebumpsy, lovely moments with Jesus. Yeah. My times with Jesus would be God help me. Yeah. If you've got a screaming baby constantly screaming, it's hard to stay sane. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to focus and to have this really loving rapport with your baby in the, the kind of same way as all the kind of lovely baby cuddles that you mm. see for for some parents having so my times with god looked really different i didn't have the time to get up in the morning and have those earliest because i wasn't actually sleeping in the first place yeah so, <laughs> there was no morning it was just perpetual awakeness and tiredness so my times with god would look like me going for a walk with my child i'd have him in a sling because that helped him the best to be upright it would take me an hour of walking with the kind of rhythm of walking to actually get him to the point that he might soothe to sleep yeah and then I'd have to carry on walking for another hour to keep him asleep and I have to do that several times a day to let him have some naps and in those walk times I worshipped and sang songs to Jesus and I prayed and my prayers weren't like these deep prayers they were all kind of God help me God help that person God, like it was, <laughs> simplicity it was yeah. it, it wasn't an eloquent ex experience in that way and I would often walk off the beaten track because I would have to walk so far that I could sing out loud yeah and um, and that was then God being my company in the the midst of feeling quite isolated we discovered that journeying in a car for example would exacerbate his reflux so much that it wasn't worth going in the car yeah. so my dreams of going off all over the place mm. and having lots of adventures with him went out the window and we could only keep local so yeah my journey was really kind of different with god that season when i was breastfeeding he would either be flinging off me screaming or if he did breastfeed for a long period it'd be for a very long period because that was his way of getting some kind of pain relief and self-seething and so i would watch god tv or another christian broadcast mm -hmm. to get some bible teaching i'd always been someone that fed myself on scripture yeah. 
but I was too tired to actually read my hard copy Bible. Yeah. And my eyes wouldn't stay open. So I really felt God saying, it's okay for other people to feed you this season, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's totally okay for you to sit there and listen to someone else's teaching mm. and to receive from other people and allow them to feed. I, I think of right now, as we're talking, I'm thinking of the, the story in the Old Testament where you've got the feeding from the ravens yeah. to Elijah and the the kind of God nourishing. And, and that was my season, I suppose, where God was sending ravens to feed me through the TV or through a radio broadcast or through a podcast and things like that. But I, I also found that I would fall asleep so we would have, me and my husband might have an intentional moment mm. where we go, right, let's pray together. And within a few minutes, I would be asleep because <laughs> I couldn't stay awake. And just that sense of, that's okay, Sarah, because just in the same way as you have a delight moment the second that your child does have a little sleep moment and a nap yes. moment and that that's it like oh, wow. Mm. Um, that's how God feels like when you as a parent are knackered and you have a sleep moment. Yeah. So, yeah. So was it psychologically reasonably easy to to sort of settle into this new pattern of spiritual life? You're shaking your head. No. No, no it wasn't. It was a culture shock for me. I right. had this really monastic lifestyle, this rich time, and I, I felt like I was failing because I wasn't having the same rich kind of picture I had all these aspirations of wanting to kind of connect with all the mums in the community and share yeah. faith. And this was going to be an amazing season for being able to do that. And I, instead, I felt isolated because we couldn't go out as much. Um, I managed to go to a local Christian church-based mums yeah. and tots group. And when I would go, sometimes my son would be okay. Other times he might scream. Um, so <laughs> So my connection with the other mums wasn't so great. Um, so, so yeah, it, and I was too knackered. I, yeah, I'd absolutely. Be there and I'd be like, thank God that someone bought me a cup of tea and a biscuit rather than thinking, oh, how can I reach out to, to the mums that are around me for Jesus? So, yeah, everything kind of flipped and everything kind of got stripped away. Going to church became mm. really difficult because that was a car journey for us and we couldn't do car journeys. Yeah. So very much I was at home doing Jesus, but not doing... Um, so, yeah, I'll just clarify one sec. The church that we were part of was a car journey away. Yeah. The local church wasn't a church that we were in attendance to on a Sunday. So in this season, I did also feel like God was challenging me about being salt and light in the community as a result mm. of the kind of journey around the community. I was no longer doing any form of Christian leadership in mm. terms of Bible teaching. I was part of a Bible teaching team. I was well connected in with growth groups and things like that. And all of that stuff got stripped back. Yeah. And that's an identity shift and a half. <laughs> yes, because whilst your spiritual life before included quite a lot of just being with God and simply soaking in God's presence, yeah. equally, I'm listening to you and thinking there's quite a lot of doing for God, quite a lot of performing the role of, and I'm not meaning that in a disrespectful way, but quite a lot of kind of performing the role of being the good Christian 
So quite a lot of doing stuff and suddenly you're in a situation where all of the things that you would have done for God are simply just not possible. Yeah, and my soaking times with God, I very much have learned in life that the more you receive, yeah. then the overflow of that hits other people. Yes. So part of me wanting to safeguard all of that mm. lovely rich time was because I knew the overflow was for was other people, for other people and, and how it poured out to others, yeah. connected to others and, and how fruitful that had been in my life in terms of drawing other people to Jesus so now I'm feeling like I'm not fruitful <laughs> I'm feeling like the peace of the Lord <laughs> isn't quite overflowing instead you've got one stressed burnt out frazzled mum and so I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm giving a good feast to other people to eat off mm. I'm not feeling like I'm able to invest in other people's lives I'm feeling like I'm in survival mode I'm yep. just trying to get by for myself so that my baby is safe and alive <laughs> and so am I <laughs> yes that's the, the kind of reality around it yeah, and that there's something, isn't there, about understanding that actually sometimes it's all right for us to simply be receiving. Yes, and I think that I processed that it's okay to receive because yeah. I knew that me and God had had this history together. Yeah. We'd had this tracking together in and I'd had my seasons of diligence in terms of my own studying and stuff like that. And he understood me in my moment. So he yeah. knew that it wasn't possible for me to stay awake when I wanted to pray or he knew that I was too tired to actually read my scripture. And I, I listened to a lot of audio Bible at that time as a, a mechanism of, of being able to, to connect with the Bible as well as preaching and, and teaching content that I was listening to. So he understands us yeah. in whatever season of life we're in. And, mm. and that was releasing for me in terms of I get you Sarah I understand that it's too hard to get to church right now because of the baby I understand that you can't spend hours studying in scripture I understand that you can't do these things I understand that you can't be witnessing to people in, in quite the same way I get it but um, it sounds as if that was there was quite there was a bit of a journey to go from yes. I'm I'm going to have I've I have this rich spiritual life and yeah and now that's a real struggle. I mean, to be honest, for a lot of people listening to this, actually the fact that you were still able to worship and pray whilst walking for several hours, rather than simply walking, <laughs> kind of completely in survival mode. So you were doing quite a lot, but from your perspective, it wasn't looking like it was before. And I'm guessing from what yeah. you're saying, and from what you said about not having those goosebump moments, that you weren't getting the kind of feedback from it that you were getting before because you were just too tired. Yeah. And I think that in terms of me spending time in prayer or singing songs mm. when I was walking, everything else had been stripped away, Kath. Yeah. And God is your source of strength. And when yeah. you are only getting two hours of sleep every single day, bearing in mind that sleep deprivation is used in some countries as a torture, torture mechanism absolutely. and people can't last for so many nights. <laughs> to, to do this for eight months with our firstborn was so very, very challenging. So I needed 
every ounce that I could get from God just to not throw him down the stairs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like being really yeah. real and, and honest that I suddenly had this revelation of like, oh my goodness, I've judged other women before for abusing a child, but actually I'm at breaking point here. Yeah. And I needed God to intervene and yeah. to be with me in those moments. And so that for me was about pressing into God every opportunity that I could get. Um, I did have other vices. Um, mm. So in that period of time, I suddenly discovered the world of Facebook. Like, <laughs> I was like, right, so I'm scrolling on social media. I also became obsessed over location, location, location. Like th- there was other yeah. things as well. So I don't want everyone to think that all I did was God. There was other things as well but pressing it into God was my how am I going to get through this yeah and when yeah. the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength and the, the Bible talks about God being my strength my shield my rock my fortress mm. he was everything in that season to get me through that season and so I needed him and I, I was acutely aware of how much I needed him because of what we were going through and how exhausted I was yeah so how do you think your thinking changed from the I'm failing, I'm virtually backsliding because I'm not doing what I was before, to this is okay. I think one huge point for me was listening to a Christian leader that I really respected on one of the podcasts that I was listening to, sharing how she felt very caught in the anti-trafficking movement and had suddenly had a baby and been like, but I really feel called to do that. Mm. And she talked about the body of Christ and about how she had spotted that there was other people in her immediate fellowship that had this amazing gifting with babies. Yeah. And they looked after her baby (laughs) (laughs) while she could do this amazing anti-trafficking stuff for Jesus. And then I heard another testimony of another significant Christian leader sharing a kind of similar journey in terms of utilizing the body of Christ based on giftings and I suddenly felt um, the woman with the superwoman pants on that can do absolutely amazingly well at absolutely everything is okay not to be that woman (laughs) (laughs) so so I guess the the recognition of babies aren't necessarily my thing the recognition of, of actually this is a really tough situation and god knows where I'm at right now and that's okay Mm. and the recognition of actually you've all got different callings and different giftings on your life and it's okay not to have all the maternal stuff going on too yeah um so all of that kind of spoke to me in that season that helped to kind of process what was going on for me and that it was okay to be in a cave (laughs) and I had so much more empathy I think when we went through the COVID season for all those mums that ended up at home with newborn babies and couldn't access the groups because I was like I did that (laughs) yeah that that was kind of me and although I had one local group that I could attend and connect with some weeks yeah not all weeks I, I got the isolation I understood how that would feel and the one thing that the health visitor said to me that was really significant was, as well was that in being just me and baby I knew my baby really well yes yeah 
so I knew when it was distress. I knew when it was a cue for feeding instead oh. of the distress. And I knew when there was feeding, but there was distress. And and I, I, I knew my child really well. Yeah. And that, that kind of the intimacy of that um, was also really significant, I think. And, and has helped me to, to journey with my son and, and understand his development by age two and to two and a half he was pretty non-verbal and mm-hmm. so we were having speech and language therapy and all that kind of stuff that I knew my child and I knew that we had sung to <laughs> my child yes. lots because we did a lot <laughs> um, and I knew we'd read lots because yes. we read books and stuff like that with him because the prints on baby books is really big so my eyes could go with that and the books (laughs) are small um so I I knew that we had done all these kind of foundational things and that something wasn't quite clicking and and to get the support in terms of things like that and the health visitor has said had you been a mum that was running around and doing all these things you might not have realized some of the stuff going on for your son Mm. because as well as having the silent reflux stuff he also had food allergies and we were able to through that journey process all of that stuff as well I also learned that children don't behave on cue so um, (laughs) (laughs) there, there would be moments like my parents didn't live locally but they would come up and then they would see him screaming his head off and and we'd play past the baby and kind of share the load in in terms of loving on but there was other times that I had some amazing women from church that would rock up and take my son for a walk and on those times did he scream no he didn't (laughs) and 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 so it, it wasn't a predictable journey with him because the screaming happened out of when he was in pain and yeah. he wasn't in pain 100% of the time but there would be points that it was really bad for him so so that was just a interesting I suppose journey of learning about knowing someone intimately and knowing what the signs of distress are yeah and there's there's a parallel isn't there for the way that God knows us intimately totally yes yeah and he knows our distress cues Yes. He knows all of those bits and exactly what that is. Mm. And your empathy for that in your children like, really feels to me like there's a real parallel with that in that God is not looking at our distress cues with disappointment or you ought to get over it, but with a real level How of do empathy. I meet that need? Yeah, yeah. understanding. And, and learning that I had to fight for things with my firstborn son. Like we mm. had to fight to get medications and and to to journey through that season and so learning that the father fights for us <laughs> yes like when he sees us in distress he doesn't just go oh well <laughs> <laughs> but he's proactively like fighting and advocating on our behalf to create some kind of change as well yeah I really sense that when you talked about the health visitor coming and just knowing immediately what you needed. Yeah. As you were telling that story, that felt like a real kind of God stepping in with exactly what you needed, the right person at the right moment. Totally, totally. And bearing in mind, I'd already had previous visits to the doctor who just thought I was a neurotic mum. Like to to have someone affirm, no, you're not a neurotic mum. This Mm. is actually he's got serious reflex and when we finally got to see the specialist at the hospital the specialist was horrified that we hadn't have been able to have had referrals sooner from our doctor and that it had been neurotic because she was like he has really severe reflux (laughs) Mm. his acid reflux is a really severe case 
and we should have been able to treat this sooner. She was so empathic as well. She was like, you have had no sleep, Sarah. She was like, Mm. if you would like to come to the ward and have my staff look after him to give you some respite, if ever you need that, it's available to you. Like (laughs) Suddenly it was like, we're in support and we understand what's going on because of the medical situation for him. Mm. And we were so thankful that he responded to treatments and that our journey started to change. We we went from a, a screamy baby to literally overnight a happy baby, a baby that started to smile. Mm. And and that just brought us so much joy. And the language development, the acid in the back of his yeah. throat would have had huge impacts in, in terms of him being able to form words. And just the trauma that he'd been He'd through. been on, yes, yeah. gosh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And in the midst of all of that, Kath, we... I decided we didn't want any more children, as you can imagine. <laughs> Can't think slightly put off by the have more babies factor. And then God, every time I did then start opening a hard copy Bible once the sleep mm. started to happen, it was all about such and such became pregnant and gave birth to a child. And I really felt God was kind of like saying, You need to have another child. Yeah. And so we started praying about that because our hearts weren't in that place whatsoever and really got, <laughs> really softened our hearts around it and and the wisdom that we'd got because i was be like why god you've seen yeah, the journey absolutely. <laughs> why would you do that and god was a bit like well you're so sleep deprived already it makes sense just to carry on the journey kind of thing like get it over go with. over with so that's what we really felt that God was saying to us. So we started to to try for a baby. And at this point, the naps had all kind of coincided with being able to re-attend church. And wow. the reflux yeah. was such that we could travel with him now a short distance. So we went back to church that we were part of. And the very first day I walk into church, expected to, first thing that I hear is like, welcome back kind of thing, was a woman walking over to me and said, God's saying that you need to have another one. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so so that was my experience of going back to church. And and it was awesome to go back to church. And then we ended up conceiving. And so I was like, this is the baby that God wanted us to have. And we're so excited about that. And different pregnancy. It felt mm. different. And I knew to take lots of extra vitamin D and, yeah. and th- those kind yeah. of learnings from before. And then we lose the baby. Oh, so we go through a, a miscarriage and in the the midst of that kind of just questioning God and, and like, yes. God, this you wanted us to get pregnant and we got pregnant and, mm. and now we don't have the baby. And I remember sat in the doctor's surgery waiting for some of the tests that I was having and I could hear the frozen song, Let It Go. Yeah, And I just really felt the Holy Spirit saying, you've just got to let it go, that you can't stay in a grief season, mm-hmm. that you need to let the grief go and, and wait and see what happens. Yeah, And so four months later, I'm pregnant again. And my my heart is in a good place because we've let it yeah. go. Yeah, And we then end up having our son. And that's a, a real special kind of wow (laughs) factor to him and the pregnancy is great yeah it goes really well I'm able to still run up until about five months pregnant three times a week and 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 everything's yeah good 
we're not told that baby's got brain damage or anything like that. All is is well. And we get to do the whole birthing pool thing, minus the guitar, because Dan was like, <laughs> I'm not lugging a flipping guitar around the hospital with me, Sarah. That's not going to happen. So playlist. And that was just really God's restorativeness yeah. in the that season of then being able to have baby. And it got to the point in the birthing pool that we're pushing. And I've been pushing for a very long time. And baby's head is stuck. And so I end up getting told that it's twisted yeah and so they need to get forceps in to turn baby's head and then to pull baby out and i got told i would be prepped for a c-section just in case they need to do an emergency c-section and that i've only got two pushes max to get baby out so i'm praying as they're trolleying me down to the theater because the theater was a place for trauma for me previously and i'm saying jesus please turn the head because that sounds painful (laughs) yes I'm really not down with this forceps thing. And the the turning of the head particularly doesn't sound great. And we get to the room, they've prepped me. I've I've had all the medicines that I need to to have to be able to to do what they're about to do. And baby's head's turned. I was like, thank you, Jesus. And in my head, I'm thinking, do we need the forceps at all? But that was already then happening. So (laughs) kind of sometimes things get out of your control, unfortunately. Um, And so I'm told, right, this is it. And he flies out with the forceps and unfortunately rips me to shreds. As a result, I end up with a prolapsed rectum and bladder and told I can't do high impact sport Mm. ever again. So that is a new journey in terms of the the new baby scenario. And sure enough, he gets reflux too. We have another baby and we can spot the signs, but this time no resistance from the doctor. Yeah. Instantly the doctor's like, we're doing medication. And so you have to do some kind of basic medications first before you can get onto the more substantial goods when it comes to a silent reflux. So we process through that really quickly. We get finally the the drug that worked for our firstborn and we're like, woohoo! And he's allergic to it. And we're like, Um, And so for the difference between the two sons on the sleep front was that for Timothy, once he was medicated, he would sleep if he was in a raised cot so the mattress needed to be around for him 40 degree angle for him to be able to get some sleep for our son Benjamin bless him we didn't realise he had a sleep apnea as well so he actually physically had to be upright on me and I had to sit up to allow him to get some sleep at night and then he would sleep for a five hour period like that so I'd have to stay like that for the five hours and then I would swap with my husband and my husband then would hold him and then I would get some sleep so it was sleep deprivation of a different kind (laughs) (laughs) that went on till he was two and a half and at two and a half we realised with medical help that he definitely had a sleep apnea and then they needed to take him in for surgery. Right. And that the resolved the sleep apnea. But by that point, he was so practised in wakes that mm. we still had to journey for quite a long season of him still having some wakeful moments. Yeah. So, yeah, I think my perception of baby sleeping so I could write a book well and truly <laughs> after many years of sleep deprivation went out the window. 
It it strikes me listening to you that in terms of your walk with God, there has been that almost that paradox of there being some really tricky things that you've needed to walk through, some really difficult stuff. And also God intervening really quite miraculously at other moments. So you've journeyed with that tension, that mystery, haven't you, of there's quite a lot of suffering and yet God is kind of with us too. Yeah, yeah. And and God doesn't do things to our orders. <laughs> like there's God. <laughs> and and learning, I suppose, that some of the things that people do as Christians that think that that's going to treat God like um, a freak machine that you do X, Y, Z and this ends up being the project, that he's God, that that yeah. doesn't work. I can remember with... Timothy and not sleeping a Christian coming up to me and, and with a whole list of sleep scriptures hmm. and implying that I'm just not speaking these verses over my son and, the, and it's like it's not a magic wand dude <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's not well, how God works yes apply the um, right bible verse yeah right yeah yeah. Or, yeah and and so yeah God's God and we don't understand sometimes the journey and we don't understand the difficulty and but God in the midst of that is turning things around for good yeah and so to to have a really well understood connection with your child is a turnaround for good moment to have now empathy for mums that are sleep deprived is really good yeah (laughs) and for me to no longer be quite the judgmental woman that I was for a woman that might have thrown their child down the stairs is a really good outcome yeah. <laughs> in terms of that process. And I think it's also helped me in terms of turning around for good, understanding church's response to parents right. and church's response to how children behave in church. Because yeah. not every child comes to church and is able to to cope with the journey so you are going to have mums that can't go to church for a season Hmm. clashes with nap time or there's a health need that the baby has that you can't do that for so do we expect mums to come to us or do we go to mums yeah do we meet mums where they're at my church were brilliant in terms of feeding us for a few weeks after we had given birth for example and so I have a real heart now for mums having a baby so it's given me a a slightly different perception and expectation I suppose on on women and and how can we serve women and how can we help women through what is a a life-changing season Mm. and isn't always rosy that it can be incredibly hard for women and when it's incredibly hard and you're reading the books that tell you that your baby should be sleeping and if they don't get 12 hours aren't you an awful parent like all those Mm. kind of things are, are, are so challenging for women that to relieve them of that guilt and that awkwardness and to, to recognise that there's a different story for some women 
is, I think, really helpful. And I think it's amazing when women do manage to maintain doing Christian service, they're able to lead and, mm-hmm. and do lots of things in church and, and to, to have that adventure. But recognising that we're a really diverse church yeah. and there are women at the complete opposite end of the spectrum and everywhere in between. Yeah. And if we're doing church family, we have to recognise that and not expect my baby to behave exactly how someone else's baby is behaving and not expect me to be able to function in the same way as that mum who is getting some sleep. I've spoken to mums who have been able to write that book. Yes, they yeah, have yeah, had yeah, that yeah. rich time. And and to say, actually, there's this this walk and we're all in this together and we all need to help each other. And, and maybe when you're a mum that's in a place of thriving, you can help the woman that's surviving. When we had... Benjamin, our second child, I was in a, a season that, yes, it was tough, but it wasn't as tough as the first time. Yeah. Like it didn't feel as tough as waking up every 20 minutes for eight months because mm. we were able to get five hours of him sleeping yeah. with me sitting up. Yes, that was really hard for me. And I still had sleep deprivation because you can't fully sleep when you're holding a baby. No, but but it was level. a different season. Yeah. And I realized that the strength I had gained from mm. the first time actually I was stronger than I thought I was and could endure that bit more and so to be able to then sew into other mums life that was then my season of saying right let's gather a few mums together and was involved in alpha course for mums and Mm -hmm. and ended up doing a kind of mums group where we met every week and some amazing women in the church ran a little crèche for us and looked after our kids while we could talk God and and have some prayer time and be real about this is what parenting is and and also to start the journey of what does parenting for faith look like how do you raise your kid to be a Christian like what kind of things can you do and we did the parenting for faith course as a a Mm -hmm. mum's community and and supported one another so I, I also recognize God in the journey of sometimes we feel like we've been robbed like the first time around I say I felt robbed from quite a lot of things yeah robbed from the birth that I wanted robbed from having those connections in the community the second time around God restored all of that and and did something in the midst of the challenge in the midst of still having some sleep deprivation so God is a turnaround God and he always restores what's been robbed. Mm. And and I guess that's been my journey and, and seeing, wanting to see more and more in church, recognising that we're imperfect family, that we don't have to have this performance mentality yeah. that my child is going to sleep through the service perfectly and isn't going to scream their head off because actually my kids couldn't control their screaming when they did have a reflux yeah. bout. Yeah. And when they weren't having a reflux bout, they were an absolute like delight moment. But if you were having a reflux moment, there was nothing that would console. So what do you do for that mum that needs mm. to have time out of the service? Like, what can you do to, to kind of be helpful? And what can you do for the mum that can't get to service? And or, Yeah, or for the mum for whom getting to service is just, is not, it's just not worth the hassle. Yeah. Because it just, the payoff is not there, to be frank. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose it's supposed to be my journey. And, and now yeah. my kids are, older still primary age Mm. learning how do we do all age worship for the kids that don't actually want to sit down and be quiet (laughs) i'm thinking a couple of things and i i'm a you've got 
boys and they're quite boisterous. But also you've got boys who've had quite a difficult start. Yeah. They have been through some stuff. Yeah. So I'm imagining that they will be working through some of that and that will be coming out in ways that sometimes don't make you look like a perfect parent. Yeah, and I, I think we, we've got two very different children yeah. in terms of their personalities <laughs> and how they behave. And so one of my children is quite sensitive and yeah. likes everything done in certain orders. Yeah. And so we'll quite happily have a meltdown moment. We've been leading worship and my husband has kind of decided to do a chorus again or something. Yeah. And that's sent him into a tiz. And he'll scream at us and say, you've done this wrong. <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is an awkward moment. Um, so th- there's other times that they'll be involved in worship and we'll be helping maybe with percussion instruments or whatever. And it all looks like we're this like beautiful family that's got it all sorted. <laughs> and then there's other times that we demonstrate to the church that we so haven't and that it's a mess you give the gift of letting other people feel a bit better yes yeah (laughs) yeah and and i i think we do both and i've really tried to keep it real yeah and to be honest about this is like what it looks like for other parents because I don't think me and my husband really we had the fantasy of what it would be like but we didn't have the reality and I think it's helpful to understand kind of what some of that reality can look like for some families not for all I'm sure for those families that have got it all going on together and it's all wonderful it's great but I haven't met lots of those families I've met lots of families that are trying really hard Mm. and have moments when it all looks like it's going on but there's a back end of every story of all all the challenges and the the meltdowns and the this that and the other and the battles that you go through Um, and because we have this kind we imbibe don't we this picture of a sort of a perfect family or what family ought to look like which means that it's really difficult sometimes to talk about the fact that it's not the way that you thought it was going to be or that you think everybody else thinks it ought to be and so you were talking about that huge spectrum for women from from those who never get married to those people yeah. who have what looks like the perfect family the ones that you can yeah. do the christmas letter about you know they're learning viola and going to university and studying and we, medicine and we and write those christmas letters to everybody in that this is yeah. the highlights for the year because that's what we do don't we we yeah. share the highlights and when we're on facebook or social media accounts whatever yours is you share these are my highlights and I think part of the the kind of keeping it real is that I've been determined on my social media accounts to be the warts and all yeah like I I will share with you the beautiful moments because I think they're to be treasured and they're to be captured and it's kind of like a diary documentation for my kids in the future yeah but I also want to share some of the challenges yeah that we've gone through and I I know one person that defriended me (laughs) because I was talking about sleep deprivation so much with my children it's like this is my journey like if it's putting you off children sorry that's not my intention but actually let's have some reality if your child is going to be sleep deprived this is the journey that you'll have yeah I hope that you don't have to have that journey but 
this is part of the the kind of reality and I, I wish that I had had some more of that reality before mm. having children so that I could have maybe not been quite so shocked by my stark contrast um I think that I'd been watching far too much Little House on the Prairie and the Walls <laughs> in terms of this romanticized picture of family life yeah yeah. And even when it's not romanticised, I'm going off at a tangent now, but even when it's not romanticised, often there is this sense that there will be an easy answer. So there'll be the documentary like Super Nanny. So there is a problem, but then Super Nanny arrives and then it's all sorted out. And in the Christian world, you have the, well, there's a problem and then we pray about it and Jesus arrived and it gets sorted out. And so actually, actually to talk about the reality that, you know, keeping it real, you said, and I think your story is all about that, isn't it? But for people to hear one another's stories about how it actually is, because it is different for everybody yes. and it's all right for it to be different for everybody. Yes. Yeah. And that there's sacrificial love, isn't yes. there, in parenting? Yes. And I think really for is. for me it cost us a lot. Yes. Like it cost us in sleep deprivation shit. <laughs> like it cost a lot. And, and pain. physical stuff. And, and, yeah, and, and know, the sacrifice. For, for both of my children, they also had food allergies. So yeah. I had to be gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free and egg-free for them both whilst mm. breastfeeding. And so there was a cost. Yeah. And I just think Jesus went through the cost of mm. suffering on the cross. He went through excruciating pain for the joy set before him. Yeah. And the joy was us. Yeah. And when we go through seasons of immense pain and suffering with mm. our children and re remembering that everyone's pain's different, my pain, you might be going through even a, a worse scenario than mine in, in terms of what's going on for, for you as a listener. But recognising that when we go through that, that is for the joy set before us. There's going to yeah. come a point where things maybe get slightly easier or we just learn to handle it in mm. a different way that helps us to get through it. That there is the joy set before us. There is the, this is you being a parent and being sacrificial love. And, and Jesus did that sacrificial love for each of us mm. that we might have life in God, that we might experience joy that strengthens us that helps yeah. us when we're sleep deprived you know that there's a deposit isn't there and there's a sacrifice that god has made and that's his parent heart that we might have life and for us when we sacrifice for our kids we do that so that our kids can experience some life yeah yeah as you were talking then i was thinking about the people for whom it doesn't feel like that comes to an end because there are yeah. people for example if you have a child who's terminally ill Yes. Then there isn't there isn't a kind of an obvious sort of there is a restoration. Yeah. Or people who live with kids who end up with long term mental health difficulties yes. or long term disability. Yeah. So for some people the journey is darker and and whilst I know that with God we can find light and we can find the gems in the darkness, everybody's journey is different. Yes. And sometimes there is more darkness than others. Yeah. And I think that's really important as we've shared the story and we've mm. talked about the spectrum. Yeah. My spectrum place is actually in a, a pretty good place in comparison to some people's journey. Yeah. And likewise, it's pretty awful in compared to some other people's journey. Like, it's not it's, a competition. It's not a competition. Yeah. And recognising that yeah. there is that spectrum. And the God is holding your hand. 
yeah. bit we'll come back to that yes. of that wherever you are on your journey god knows mm. and he's holding your hand and he wants the burden to be light yeah. and he puts this in community to help that burden to become lighter for the women that took my child for a walk for the mm. women that cooked for me yeah he puts us in community for that and i think that sometimes we've got a rigid sense of what that support looks like like mm come to the mums and tots group and we'll give you a cup of tea well maybe i need the tots group to come to me yes, etc because you can't drive for yeah, more than 10 yeah. minutes without chaos happening yes. yeah so so i think there's something about us learning to love yeah the whole spectrum and not just one part of the body of christ really well i think we do really well at loving a certain group of parents that are able to do things but there's this whole group of parents that can't do some things because of the needs that their children have in their context and how do we love those how do we go the extra mile to express the love of jesus and i think that's a a challenge for us as church i remember many years ago being asked to write a chapter for a youth manual and i got asked to do the one that was for children with special and additional needs yeah and how do we do youth group with them and i spent time talking to some experts in the field i didn't class myself as an expert and went and taught and i came up with this like kind of package yeah. of what we would need to do as church for it and the people that were editing the whole piece Mm. came back to me and said i'm really sorry sarah this is gold standard but we can't expect our churches to do this Mm. and i was like what do you mean you can't expect Mm. your churches and they pulled lots of the good practice out of the manual to try and make it easier for the church rather than thinking we need to make it easier for these families who are experiencing pain and suffering at a whole different level and i think when jesus talks about sharing my sufferings with me that is us learning to share in the sufferings for people and to come along and Mm -hmm. be a comfort and to be uh, a help and I'm not sharing that in the place of I've got that all together but it keeps it real to me about how do we stretch our parameters of of how we're willing to love and and what we're willing to love and that unconditional love that love whatever to Mm. to enable families to function with church yeah and with Jesus and there's something about listening deeply to somebody's story, isn't there? And finding out what for this family, for these people yeah. who are unique and will be bringing unique gifts into our community. And actually, some of those unique gifts are going to be about what that draws out of us as we stretch ourselves yeah. in order to support those other people. Yeah. Really interesting listening to the level of passion that you have for that. So one of the fruits of actually what you've been through is that sense of passion and call to speak prophetically into church about some of the things that need to change yeah a bit part of that answer yeah we've been as a a family now on a journey of exploring all-age worship so what does 
the service on a Sunday need to look like to help families to engage and for children that can't just sit still and be quiet? Are you saying that it doesn't work to have an ordinary service with 10 minutes where they all sit quietly and nicely at the front? I'm, I'm saying that children <laughs> might need to run around and yeah. that children have got different ways of expressing themselves and we need to be able to connect yeah. with children. You know, Jesus said to his disciples about not stopping the kids coming to him. Mm. And so for me, it's about saying, where are the things that we do because it works for us grown-ups. Yeah. Uh, what what are we doing that actually stops the child coming to Jesus? Yeah. It, it could be that the song lyrics that we're singing aren't easy enough for a kid to grasp. Yeah. It could be that expecting children to be quiet in a prayer time doesn't work for them. Mm. Maybe there needs to be some loud, actually, or... Maybe there needs to be some creativity and some action and tactile and stuff like that. What about for the mum that's having this, this screaming child moment that I would have had at times? Yeah. What space do you provide for yeah. that mum? Like just thinking about mm. how we love each other in the context of doing church. And yes, adults may want to have that moment like I had when mm. my monastic lifestyle. Yes. But how do we meet everybody's needs in that moment to allow everybody to connect with God? Because ultimately we want to come to church to connect with him. And for parents, you talked earlier about the payoff about going to church Mm. and sometimes there isn't. I I can remember many times going to church and thinking, what am I actually getting from it? I need refuel. I I, I need something. And And I can't engage with anything. And instead I'm feeling like I need to make my child quiet or I need to make them do X, Y, Z. And that's so much pressure on top of everything else that you're feeling. So how can we take some of the pressure away Mm. and take down some of those barriers for our families so that it's easier for them, so that it's not always the parents feeling that they have to change and change the kid, Mm. (laughs) but actually how as church do we change so that everyone's welcome? Yeah. Thank you so much. That's been been great. And yeah, thank you for sharing so honestly and for keeping it real. It's been good. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.